0: So our question I gave to you for homework last month was go through each of the 25 paragraphs and ask this question. What is the main point of the paragraph? And I give you four criteria that are on your yellow sheet for giving a paragraph title. We must have all four. If you don't have all four, I'm budging you tonight, okay? We're keeping to the four criteria. This is our criteria. you got to keep with it. Number one, no more than four words. If you have five, That's what you get tonight, okay? Four words, and those four words must be found in the text of that paragraph. Number two, your title must point to the most important person, event, idea, or geographical location. Number three, your title must represent the content in the paragraph. Yes, that's helpful, okay? The actual content you find in the paragraph. Number four, this is important as well. Your title must be distinctive from every other paragraph title in the book. Distinctive as well. So please note, as as I mentioned last week or last month, paragraphs in chapter breaks are not inspired. They're put there by man years later. The actual titles of the chapters and paragraphs you find in your translation, they're not inspired either. It's easy to be influenced by them, isn't it? Okay? But they're not inspired. You don't have to use the actual paragraph or title, chapter, name that is in your particular version, okay? So be free. That's my word for you tonight. Keep into the four criteria, right? Four criteria. Don't mess up, okay? But be free there. No pressure. No. So what we're going to do now is this. We're going to break up into our small groups, our home groups, okay? And we're going to spend about 15 minutes sharing your discoveries, your actual paragraph titles with those in your group. We're going to do this. We're not going to spend a lot of time analyzing it. We just want to hear what you've done, what you've come up with, you may be encouraged. Some people, you may have a lot. If you have the same title, you may all have different titles. Please remember, there's not one right answer. There's not one right paragraph title. With that said, some answers are better than others. We'll try to draw that out tonight, okay? But there is not one answer. So I'm not going to give you a master sheet tonight, okay, of all the answers, because there's not just one answer. So share your answers. Be free, and maybe you'll gain some confidence as others saw what you saw and then we're going to come back together and we're going to share those paragraph titles together and go into a little more detail how we come up with some of these titles as we go through the book of Ephesians, okay? So right now, we've got 15 minutes. We're going to keep it to 15 minutes. You're not going to be able to go through all six chapters, probably. Start with chapter one and make as much, cover as much ground as you can in 15 minutes, home group leaders, okay? T, conciseness. It is an art. Well, we're going to try this mic one more time. It doesn't work. We'll scratch it, but what I want to do is have some time of interaction. There's no way we can get through six chapters, okay? Let me just say, there's no way we can. We're going to try to get through the first three at least. And uh, if you recall that Ephesians is broken up really into two major sections, chapters one through three, which we may call the indicatives, the theological motivations and basis for our behavior, and four through six, which is the imperatives, how we then should live based on what is true. And we'll scratch this. All right. We'll go with this. We have two. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, David. <clears throat> is this on here? So we're going to at least hit the first three chapters here this, this evening. We'll go farther if we can. Looking at the indicatives. What is true about us in Christ? So first I want you to hear from a good friend of mine. He's going to read for us Ephesians 1. His name is Max McLean. Maybe some of you know him. My voice is uh, running out here. So I'm going to let Max. If I ever have a second life, I want to have Max's voice right here. This is the voice I want right here. Let's listen to Max McLean as he reads the entirety of Ephesians 1. and then We'll discuss the paragraphs after that.
1: and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest Ephesians 2 and you were dead the letter of Paul to the Ephesians chapter 1 Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the Saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All
0: right, chapter one. Thank you, Max. I love that concluding prayer right there. (laughs) Well, Let's take a look at chapter one here of Ephesians. I was feeling generous last month. I gave you the first three paragraph titles there, i.e. the greeting, faithful saints, grace and peace. And then they come to this what's called a doxology, verses three through 14. This doxology is one sentence in the original, Greek. What would you expect in the beginning of any letter of Paul's, would that there would be a greeting? I thought that there would be a thanksgiving, which we have down in verse 16. But what's unique about Ephesians here is Paul adds... This wonderful doxology of praise, giving praise to God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in this doxology. And in fact, in this doxology, what we have are the different themes that are going to emerge that he is going to later elaborate on in his letter to the Ephesians. So a critical part to this letter is this doxology. I proposed to you last month that verses 3 through 10, the first paragraph here of the doxology... We could entitle every spiritual blessing that we have received as believers in Christ. So our assignment really began with this next paragraph, paragraph four, which is really a continuation of this doxology, of this one sentence. So with that in mind, I'd love to hear what you came up, came up with. How does this part of the doxology, verses 11 through 14, contribute as a whole to this opening word of praise so let me know uh we have here david you have a microphone here if anyone has an idea wants to give their paragraph title or maybe one that you agreed upon in your group let's hear it now all right just raise your hand i'll get you right, mic who dares to be the first one all right
1: predestined in christ
0: predestined in christ okay predestined in christ we find that in the text there We have the word predestined, right? Verse 11. By the way, if you're not using ESV, let me know because I'm going off the ESV. So NIV. Okay, so I don't have the NIV in front of me, so I'll trust those words. I have predestined in there. So predestined in Christ. Okay, good. Any others? Okay, inheritance with this theme inheritance. That word inheritance comes up, I think, for the first time here in these verses. Okay, that word inheritance. We see it. In the first verse, verse 11, in the SV, we have a painted inheritance. And the last verse, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So that certainly seems to be a theme as well in this paragraph, inheritance. Okay, any others? Inheritance for his glory. Inheritance for his glory. Okay, four words, good, inheritance. Yes, Paul. Hope, oh. Hope in Christ. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hope in Christ. We'll try that. Yeah, I just want to make sure we hear it for the recording. I'll, I'll repeat it, so you don't have to walk around. Thank you, bro. <laughs> so already we have a variety of different paragraph titles, right, for this paragraph. Predestined's not a bad one, but we do see that coming up, this idea of us being chosen in that first paragraph of the doxology as well, right? Even as he chose us in him, verse 4. So Not bad. But we see that surface there. So I want to ask, what is unique about this paragraph, 11 through 14? I think the word inheritance is brought up for the first time. That is one of our spiritual blessings. We've been given every spiritual blessing, and one of those Paul seems to be highlighting is our inheritance. What that exactly means, we're going to look at later, okay? But we see it there. There's one other thing that I see as well that's unique to this paragraph, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit in here as well. Oh, we see a Jenny, like that? Okay, yeah, she, yeah. Give me the high five there. No. she had the role of the Holy Spirit, okay? So we have all these spiritual blessings that have been listed in this doxology, but what guarantees these blessings, and this inheritance? Well, we read in verse 13, a lot of part of that verse, that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, So you might want to have a paragraph title that includes the Holy Spirit. He was what, the guarantee or the seal of our inheritance? He's the promise that these spiritual blessings are ours in Christ. Why? Because we've been given the Holy Spirit. That may be another way you can approach it too. Once again, not the only answer. We're looking at what is a unique contribution in that paragraph to understanding this doxology that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We see the Holy Spirit as one we see our inheritance is another thing that Paul is emphasizing in this paragraph. So he finishes the doxology. Now Paul finally gets to the prayer, excuse me, to this prayer of thanksgiving that is typical of his letters. And this also is one verse, excuse me, one sentence. It's many verses. Verses 15 through 23. One more. So actually we have now two sentences in this letter that have taken up right, verses 3 through 23, 20 verses. How might you encapsulate the meaning of this prayer? Okay? Linking it together with what we said every special blessing, our inheritance, sealed, guaranteed in the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit. Now the prayer. Any titles? Okay, Becky. Okay, never-ending thankfulness and prayers. Okay. Never ending thankfulness and prayers certainly captures the idea of thanksgiving, right? In prayer in there. It does, Uh uh-huh. Any others? Becky Raphael and Elena. Prayer to know him. Okay. Good, good. Elena? Immeasurable greatness. It's a challenge, isn't it? There are a lot of themes surfacing in this wonderful, glorious prayer. But I think there is a heart here, a gist here, that Paul's getting at. He's introduced all these spiritual blessings. Prominent in that blessing is our inheritance, which has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now Paul is praying that his recipients of this letter would know these blessings, that they would know experientially what is true positionally in Christ. And I think we see those words. that seem to capture it well in verse 17. It's his prayer, that the God of your Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, what? May give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. You could say spirit of wisdom. You could maybe say spirit of revelation. Or you said knowledge of him. That could be another paragraph title. Or verse 18 could be a paragraph title. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What does Paul want for his readers? He wants them to, to know Every church of blessing that's theirs in Christ. He wants them to know it. Their eyes would be open. It would be revealed to them. They would know that this is true experientially, right? So I think your title wants to capture this. All of the things that follow are great. His glorious inheritance, his power, the riches. All these are things that you'll come into understanding when your eyes are opened. So you could use those, but I think the main thrust here is this idea of revelation. Of knowing, of hearts enlightened to what he's just spoken about in, in the doxology. That makes sense? So, we're trying to come up with the paragraph titles that are, that are both accurate, concise, and also how they, they hook together with the previous paragraphs. That you and your mind can understand there is a flow here, there's a logic to Paul's thoughts. Even what he just prayed seems to be related to what he just spoke about in the doxology. There is relation. These aren't just independent little paragraph sections. They're all one. This is one letter. So we're trying to make the hook, okay? In our minds, through paragraph titles of how it fits together. Right? Faithful saints, grace and peace, every spiritual blessing, sealed or guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, right? Hearts enlightened, spirit of revelation, to know him all these ideas that you would know him and these blessings he's just spoken about thus we complete chapter 1 let's move on now to chapter 2 and try to capture the flow I want you to hear from Max I know you've read this before but if you have the ESV you might just want to follow along again just let your eyes settle upon the words as he reads them just to have these fixed in your mind so let's listen now to Ephesians chapter 2
1: Ephesians 2 It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit.
0: All right, I love that chapter, chapter 2 of Ephesians. All right, so for this chapter we'll have two paragraphs, paragraph 6 and paragraph 7. What we see here in this well-known first paragraph, verses 1 through 10, is really our redemption in Christ. In fact, these first 10 verses are really an elaboration of of what Paul has already mentioned in the doxology, look at verses back at chapter one, verses. <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, verses seven and eight of chapter one. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Well, now in chapter two, Paul seems to be picking out this theme of redemption and explaining this in more detail. We call this the principle, ready for this one? The principle of radiation. So verses seven through eight, chapter one, are radiating out now and being elaborated upon by Paul in the second chapter of Ephesians. We see him explaining this redemption that is ours in Christ. How? By grace. Well, what do you have for a chapter, excuse me, paragraph title, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2? Yes, Christy. Sorry? Saved by grace, certainly capturing that wonderful theme of grace, which is really prominent in that paragraph. Yes, good. Any others? Yes. But Dead but now alive? Yes. That is a big theme as well, this idea of being made alive, right, in Christ. Two good answers. Any others? They'd be different. Yes, Matt. God's love and mercy. Certainly grace as well as love and mercy is a the theme that we see throughout the book of Ephesians, and it's definitely here as well. Great, any others? Riches of, riches of his grace. The idea of riches is another key term, isn't it, that we're going to see. Yes, one more. Yes, Sean. Grace through faith. Still the title there from the ESV, huh? All right. Well, certainly, grace through faith could be a theme. I think it's a, it's a good answer. But something else I want you to see here that was picked up on, I think, by Christina as well, and that was this idea of being made alive as well. I think it's another key part in understanding this paragraph in this book. And here we have that verse one of chapter two that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And explains what this means being dead in our sins. And then the paragraph pivots and turns on verse four. But, but God being rich, there's that word rich, in mercy, yes, because of what? His great love. We just covered all three of those, right? Which with these loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This idea that God made us alive in Christ. How? By grace through faith. So they're both good answers. So Paul was just praying at the end of chapter one that we would know that our eyes, our eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know and understand the great power of Christ, that power is exhibited in you. You were once dead and now made alive. So we see this prayer. It's almost like Paul was praying this prayer for every spiritual blessing, that we would know Christ, know his blessings, and know his power through his son Christ. Who raised you from the dead? Who made you alive? You who were once dead are now alive, now can walk in the works he has prepared for you. So once again, we see that theme there: made alive, or by grace through faith could be both good. I think paragraph titles to capture the essence. And then we move to verses 11 through 22, one long paragraph. All right, that comes in the heels of verses 1 through 10. How would you summarize that paragraph? Yes, Alan. Reconciled in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Okay? Reconciled to Him, To God. God. How is that unique in this paragraph, from the previous paragraph? You're right. Reconciliation is in play here. So not a bad answer, Alan, right? But we also see that same surface in 1 through 10. I think reconciliation is a theme, but it's a little different. In this next section here, yes. Yeah, is it Nathan or Bentley? Okay. So one, body one body in Christ. The idea of unity and being brought together. Who's being brought together? Like Gentiles and Jews, right? Yes, I went back here. Yes, sir. Christ is our peace. This idea of coming together, oneness, and also peace. Gentiles and Jews together. Right? In Christ? Yes. Dividing wall, dividing wall broken? Yeah, I think you're getting, I think this idea of unity, oneness, dividing wall broken, coming together, unity, peace, is all a major theme here, isn't it? This is how I see the link to the first 10 verses of the chapter. We were reconciled to God, verses 1 to 10, vertically. Verses 11 through now, 22, show us how we are reconciled to one another horizontally in our relationships, Jews and Gentiles alike. The dividing wall of hostility has been abolished. We can now, God is making us one new humanity in Christ. In Christ, there's neither, neither no Jew or Gentile. The ground for the cross is level. One new humanity out of two. There's that oneness and unity. So I think your paragraph title would do well to capture the unity that he's speaking about, that horizontal reconciliation that was affected by the cross, the vertical reconciliation, found in verses one through 10. That make sense? So Alan, good answer on the reconciliation. I I just wanted to fine tune that a little bit, okay? To help you see that there. Great, so where have we come? We've covered two chapters, right? Every special blessing. Right? So with the Holy Spirit, a prayer that your heart, hearts would be enlightened, that you know that you have the spirit of revelation to know him, and these blessings, that you would know you're benefited in Christ. Chapter two, we've been made alive in Christ by grace through faith, and we've been reconciled to one another, right? One new humanity, right? Through the cross. So there we go. First two chapters. It's coming together. We see a little, a little flow happening here, okay? In these first two chapters. Now let's go to chapter 3. And we have a few more, four paragraphs here to look at in more detail.
1: All right. Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named,
0: well, chapter three, this is a fascinating chapter. For Paul starts off explaining our oneness in Christ, our peace in Christ. We've been unified, reconciled to one another. And then listen to this. He goes, he starts verse, chapter three, verse one with this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, then he answer there's a little dash there, assuming that you have heard of this stewardship, it's like he doesn't almost really complete his sentence. He introduces who he is, and then he has this really what amounts to a parenthetical statement that really consumes verses 2 through 13 about his apostolic calling, about his mission, about his calling as one who the mystery has been revealed to, and now which he proclaims. And then in verse 14, he seems to pick up almost where he left off in of verse 1 with the exact same phraseology, for this reason. It's the same one word in uh, Greek. It's a fun little word, tutu. means therefore, or for this reason. So it's like he's saying, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner in Christ Jesus, on your behalf, you're Gentiles. And he's about to pray, then he explains, oh, want, let me show who I am in my calling. I want you to know this mystery that I've been trusted with. And then he goes back in verse 14 and continues on with a prayer. So it's like he interrupts his prayer to give this parenthetical statement about his mission and about this mystery which has been revealed and made known to him which adds a unique contribution to this chapter and to this letter. So with that in mind, verses one through six, what name would you give to that paragraph? How would you summarize that title? The statement about Paul and his mission, or commission. Yes, Elena. Mystery of Christ, okay, good. You captured the word mystery, it's certainly a predominant, isn't it? In this paragraph, good. You guys are doing well. Any others? Over here? You had the same answer? I saw a hand go up over here. Mystery revealed? Okay. Yeah, great answers. Any others? See it a little differently? Gentiles are fellow heirs. Gentiles are fellow heirs? All right. I think you can put that, in. I think that's accurate. Um, I think he has introduced that a little bit. In the previous chapter, chapter really verses 11 through 22. So, once again, it's not inaccurate. It's just that he's already introduced this idea, right? That the Gentiles are heirs, no longer strangers or aliens to the Commonwealth, that they're now in Christ. So, it's, it could be a restatement of that. So, not bad. I think that the word mystery, which has also been introduced, is elaborated on a little bit here as well. This idea, this mystery has been revealed to him. What is this mystery? And you're right, Lenny, the mystery is the Gentiles are heirs. There's still a question here, though. Why is that a mystery? Because Lenny's right, the, the, the Gentiles are heirs. But he, he says it's a mystery revealed. We're not going to do too much interpretation now, but it is fascinating because if you read the Old Testament, it shouldn't have been a mystery in one sense, right? God's plan of salvation has always been for the nations. Look at God's promise, the Abrahamic covenant, They he would bless them, they would be a blessing, his seed would be a blessing to the nations, So it shouldn't have been a surprise in one sense the Gentiles would also be blessed with the gospel. But the mystery is this, that the Gentiles would be incorporated into this one humanity, this one new man, that there'd be no longer any distinction. That may not be radical to us, but it was radical to the Jews. You mean the unclean Gentiles? Paul grasped this. It took a while before the other apostles grasped this, didn't it? If you read the book of Acts and Peter, just uh, this idea that the Gentiles were also heirs with them. That was radical thinking. Oh, they knew they'd be blessed, but blessed as a distinct people. God said, No, I'm making one new man in Christ. Your identity is not Jew or Gentile. Your identity is me in Christ. Okay? So the mystery has been revealed that, yes, the Gentiles are heirs, incorporated, has been revealed to Paul. In this unique way, and he sees this as his apostolic commission to now preach this message to others. Great. So, carrying on with this apostolic commission, we see verses seven through thirteen. What is unique and distinct about this paragraph? What does this paragraph add to this understanding of the mystery revealed? It's a continuation of this, uh, the same thought. Yes, Samantha. Sorry. Okay, that would explain who Paul is, right? Being a servant. Okay, so more as a model, you mean? What do you find that? It may be there. I'm just trying to look. In what verses do you have that, Samantha? In verses 7 through 13. Okay, I'm just, I'm just trying to look for the words here, just trying to locate the words. I'm trying to embarrass you, just trying to look at the words there in the text there. Okay, gotcha. In the ESV, it's a minister according to the gift. Okay, gotcha. So it's servant, what, what, what version do you have? Okay, so NIV, it's a servant of the gospel. Okay, that would that would share what how Paul saw himself, right? His identity as one in his calling. Okay, any others? Yeah, Nathan. Minister of the mystery. So introduce introduced the mystery. Now he's saying he's a minister of the mystery. Yeah, it might be an elaboration of that. He introduces the mystery in that first part. but he now says I'm a minister of this mystery. It's been revealed to me. Now I I'm minister. I'm a servant of this, okay? To the church, ah. I think that's key, I think that's key. Other answers aren't bad answers. But what's unique is he's introduced in the church here, isn't he? So the question is, how is this mystery revealed? Yes, it was revealed through Paul's ministry, that's correct. But I think there's even a greater answer that we can look to. Not just is this mystery being revealed to, has been revealed by Paul, revealed to him, that's now he's revealing it to others through his teaching and preaching. But this mystery is ultimately revealed how? Through the church. I think that is key to understanding this chapter, this paragraph, particularly verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You catch that? The mystery has been revealed to Paul. Ah, this mystery has now been revealed to the cosmos, to all spiritual th- authorities and rulers. How? the church as we gather Jew, Gentile alike together as one, one people in Christ we testify to the truth and reality of Christ's supremacy and his work of redemption in our lives we are witnessing not only to fellows friends, family we are witnessing to the powers that be in the cosmos as well, to all creation of who Christ is. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That'll preach. We're going to talk about that a little later on, okay? We're not preaching or interpreting today. I just want to give you a little taste there. So I think that would be key to understanding in that chapter. Not the only answer, but I think it might be a better answer only because it elaborates on how this mystery is revealed, which we first talked about in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3. And then, um, I put through the church. Yeah. So mystery revealed through the church. It may not be a complete sentence but when I put the two together? See, Mystery revealed. verses one through six, through the church. Bingo, it fits. It flows, right? <laughs> mystery revealeds two words in the first paragraph. The second paragraph, chapter three, it's through the church. You see how that flows in my mind? I, so I'm not looking at, at complete sentences for each, each paragraph. I want to understand the main thoughts and how they flow together. So that helps me mystery revealed it was revealed to Paul initially. so it's good to know that. but how's it revealed? Ah through the church. okay, bingo. And then we go into a prayer. his second prayer the letter. Remember chapter one ended with the prayer. now chapter three ends with the prayer. and we have two paragraphs in this prayer okay? Our tenth and eleventh paragraph, but they're really one prayer. Once again, a lot going on in this prayer. How can we summarize this prayer and perhaps make any connections to what we just talked about as well? This is tough, I realize, when we get to these. There's a lot of clauses in Paul's writing. It's hard sometimes to discern what is the main point. He's broaching so many different wonderful spiritual truths trying to distill it down. What is the essence of what Paul is communicating and interceding for regarding the saints in Ephesus and those who received his letter. Verses 14 through 19, paragraph 10. Any ideas? Yes, Russi. Okay, power through his spirit. Good answer. We certainly see this idea of power, don't we? His prayer for power. And once again, he's introducing the ministry of the spirit. It radiates Verses, I think 10 and 11 in chapter 1, this idea of the role of the Spirit. He's elaborating on that as well. The role of the Spirit. Power through His Spirit. Good. Any, any others? Yes, yeah, Bentley and then Marcos. Yeah. To know Christ's love. To know Christ's love. Okay, good. There's definitely a theme of love in there that you know, right? <clears throat> <clears throat> dwell in your hearts through faith that you may, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. Certainly a case we made that love is, is what he's praying for here, a key component of his prayer. Good. Marcus. Right, Christ, dwelling in hearts. Christ dwelling in hearts. Yeah, I think it's another good answer as well. So like verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So once again, I don't think there's one right answer here. I think this prayer, you can have a lot of titles. Um from this prayer for power, this prayer that you would conceive and grasp and understand, be grounded in, rooted in his love, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Once again, that we would experience what is true of us in Christ. He wanting us to grasp this, okay? To believe it. And to know it. How about verses twenty and twenty-one? Same prayer. What does he add to this prayer in these two verses that might be similar of a unique contribution in its content? Yes, go for it, Christy. Glory in the church. Okay, your cap. You're capturing that last phrase there, glory in the church, which he has talked about earlier, this mystery being revealed to the church, that you may now write to him be the glory in the church, that his glory in the church may be known by you and by all. Yes, good. Any others? Glory in Christ Jesus, so we would see his glory. Good. When there's so much going on in these verses, it's often hard to choose just one. What you may want to do is choose something that stands out as a unique phrase, perhaps as a a trigger for your own memory. There's many choices that are good. Especially with this prayer, there's not, I don't think, one good or necessarily best answer. I think this idea of power and love are definitely germane and very important here. But when it comes down to verses 20 through 21, what does he add? I just personally love the phrase far more abundantly because I've memorized that verse and just, it just, it's a trigger point. It helps me locate that verse in Ephesians. It's like Paul is praying for power that you'd be strengthened through his spirit. And this strengthening in power that he wants to do in and through you is far more abundantly than you can even ask or think or imagine. So this power... At work in Christ in you. Oh, it's great. But you know what? It's even greater than you think or know. Far more abundantly. So I chose that. Not because it's the only right answer, but I love that phrase, and that unique phrase, that phrase I think is unique to Paul, and it's found right here. And it's something that you've probably quoted before, or maybe you've heard before. Okay, it just helps me know where's it located in Ephesians. Oh, that's in his prayer. That's the conclusion of his prayer in chapter three. Far more abundantly. What's far more abundantly? Although we can ask according to what? To the power at work within us. That power at work within us that he's praying for, that you would realize and know and experience is even greater than you know. Because it's Christ, right, dwelling in your hearts. Yes. Good. Just some ideas there. Well, we've just covered, chapters one through three, right, what we call the indicatives, right? This is the theological foundation for what he's now gonna talk about in verses four through six. And what I want to do is introduce to you perhaps some ways you can look at verses chapters four, five, and six. Because you're like me, when I got to four, five, and six, it got a little more complicated. Now, if you if you keep turning to chapter five, you get to verse twenty-two, it's like a pretty good solid ground there. He's addressing, you know, wives and husbands, right, and children and parents and slaves and masters. That was pretty easy, wasn't it, to title those? right? Pretty easy. It wasn't too difficult. But what I found difficult was a title, chap- to give titles to paragraphs starting with chapter 4 all the way through 5, verse 21. That was a little trickier. It's like there's so many wonderful sayings and commandments, but I didn't know which one to choose. There's just so many. It's like Paul's just rattling off all these wonderful exhortations, many that you may have memorized, but I was having a hard time getting hooks for them. How, how was Paul, in his mind, organizing this content? It just like a splattering of diff- different imperatives, right, how we should live in Christ. In general, what it means to be holy, I think you could say that. But beyond that, I had a hard time. I'm going to give you some grammatical cues here, okay, or clues to be able to help you with these chapters 4 and chapter 5. I think there is a way you can understand how these two chapters in particular hold together, There is a key word that Paul uses, particularly in this segment, particularly in these chapters, the last three chapters of Ephesians. It's a key word that communicates action. It's a verb of what we ought to do. Does anyone know that key word? Walk, bingo, walk. He actually introduced it in chapter 2, right? This idea of walking in good works. We used to walk yeah, in our dead, in our deadness and trespasses, right? And then he said he saved us that we would walk in the good works prepared for him. So he's already introduced this idea of walking, intentionally walking, and doing that which God has commanded us to do, which he has prepared for us to do. Now in chapters four and five, he's showing us what this walking looks like. What does it mean to walk and to live according to the truths that we just talked about in chapters one through three? What are these truths? Just one through three. Paul is talking about this unifying power, this unifying grace, this unifying love and peace in the church, which is a cosmic testimony to Christ's supremacy and wisdom. If that is true, how then should we live? How then should we walk if we are united as one by grace in love as a church to give witness and glory to the cosmos? How does it affect and inform how we are to live with one another? That's what Paul is not gonna describe in verses chapters four and five and six. How then we should walk. So where do we find this word walk? Well, we find it in the very first verse, chapter four. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, how? Worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What's this calling? We just talked about it. Chapters one through three, okay? So we see this construction, therefore walk. I think mean, that forms a segment, okay? There's a hook there. Let's look, at, let's look now. Later on in chapter four, look at verse 17. we see this idea of walking again. It was a walk worthy? Now in verse 17 now by the way, it's the same Greek word. Un, it's, it's, it's with this construction. He always says now or therefore walk. there's this, this common construction he's using over and over. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, I think he's saying, I'm calling you to walk in the truth, okay? So that seems to form another segment of this section. Where do you see this word walk appear again? Where's the next appearance of the word walk? Do you see it? 5-2. I would say 5-1 and 2 form another section. There's the word therefore again. It's in verse 1, and the actual the word walk is in verse 2. It seems to form another segment, another section of Scripture. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk, how? In love. So walk worthy, walk in the truth. Now, chapter 5, verse 1, walk in love. And I think your paragraphs below that are going to elaborate what it means to walk in love as we've been loved, right? A key theme here in Ephesians. Where do you see the word walk again? An eight, good, an eight. Before it's walk in love. Now you're saying, "There's that word that therefore is actually attached to in verse seven. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were dar- you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." So idea of walking in the light. Okay, I think that's another. Header for this section. Any other walks that we see here? Okay, verse 15, right. Once again, verse 15, the word for therefore in the Greek is there, but it's not there in the ESV. They they deleted it. I'm not sure why. (laughs) But you could translate it therefore, once again. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as wise, but as wise. So now he seems to be saying, I want you to walk in wisdom. Walk in truth. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. See, all these themes that he surfaced in chapters 1 through 3 three of love, of wisdom, right, are now being used to form the imperatives of how we should now live, how we should then indeed walk. That helps me. I want to get that to you because it's not always apparent, but... I just want to give that to you to help you with the different segments found in chapters four and five. So now when you do your paragraph titles, that may help you, okay? Identify the the paragraphs that fall underneath the different segments or sections, okay? Under these themes of walking, how we should then walk. And then we get to chapter five, verse 22. And once again, these are a little easier, aren't they? The chapters addressing wives, right? Then 25, verse 33, addressing husbands. Chapter 6, addressing children. Verse 4, fathers. Verse 5, verse 6, addressing slaves. And then verse 9, masters, all right? So I won't go through all those. I assume we all have similar titles for those. I think your titles in these paragraphs ought to basically name those being addressed slave and masters, father and children. Husband and wives, okay? And then in the latter part of verse, of chapter six, starting at verse 10, we have this wonderful section on the whole armor of God. Instead of saying walk, it's interesting. In verse 14, he now says this. Don't walk, he says stand. <laughs> stand upon this truth, okay, in your fight. But even though the church is a witness to the cosmos, there is a real spiritual opposition as well. To this Christian life that you are living. Stand firm, wearing the armor of God. And that can just be your title for the whole section there, Armor of God. And then he ends with the final greetings to Tickus, his messenger. And then in verses 23 and 24, there's just themes again being brought up of peace and love and grace. Alright. Great. Well, that'll give you an idea. We did not have time to go through every title there, but hopefully that'll give you some ideas. So what you may want to do. You may want to, perhaps you want to adjust your paragraph titles, chapters four and five, more along the lines of this walking theme. You don't have to. Just an idea for you if you are struggling to find a consistency or a link in the different paragraphs. You've had difficulty seeing how they flowed together. You may want to use that to help you So you may want to rephrase some of your paragraph titles. That's okay. I rephrased mine many times. Went through it, changed it. That's fine. You're hearing others say, hey, I I like that one better. That seems to make more sense. I see it now a little more clearly. That's more memorable. That'll help me. That's That's a peg I can put in my mind right now. Use it. No shame there, okay? You're going to change this many times, okay? I'm changing. I may change it again after I talk to you guys at the end. It's not set in stone, Okay. I'm trying to get a grasp of the content and the skeletal structure of Ephesians the best I can to understand the message and how it's laid out. That I can teach it, I can know it, I can memorize it. And I believe you can do the same as well as you develop these paragraph titles and themes. So for next month, what do we have going on? You want to make some revisions in your paragraph titles? That's fine. But what else are we are going to do? Well, we're now going to move up the ladder to our segments and divisions. You'll see in your yellow sheet, we've done the paragraph titles, right? In the left-hand column. You'll see some segments. How do you summarize these segments? Give a name, four words or less. Could be two words, could be one word. That's okay, keep it concise. I've already given you some proposed segment titles, chapters four and five. Just did that, if you caught this. If you're not, I'm sorry. But anyway, um, then there's divisions. There's two divisions. Versus chapters 1 through 3, 4 through 6. Give a title to this. I said indicative imperative. That's what's happening. That's not a good title, though. That just explains, I think, the, the way it's structured. And then come up with the book title as well. You may change it, but come up with the main title, the main theme of Ephesians. So we're going to segments, divisions, and book title. Along with that, as part of your homework, I want to ask you would also be identifying keywords as well. I've already talked about a few already, so you should have those down. Maybe there be a few other keywords that you can identify. Look at them closely. Where do they appear in the book? How do they function in the book? And also, is there a key verse as well? Is there a key verse that would summarize aptly the book of Ephesians? This key verse ought to go well with your title for the book as well. So at the end, you have a title for Ephesians, a main theme, and a key verse that supports that main theme. And then that theme is broken down into divisions and segments, and eventually paragraphs. You'll have it all as one. That is called that's called surveying the book of Ephesians. You got that? You have that down? It's going to help you immensely. Once we do that in December, then in January, we're going to go back through each chapter, and do more interpretation, get back more into the nitty-gritty of what is happening there. But we're going to do it with an understanding of the fuller context because you're already going to have it on your charts and hopefully somewhat in your head as well. All right. That's where we're going for next month. With that in mind, I want to be uh, true to our time. Is now a little past nine, so let me pray for us in closing, okay? Well, Lord, thank you. This is a lot of information. But, Lord, your word is so rich. It is profound. Oh, Lord, and I know we're just scratching the surface, but it is good to scratch. So, Lord, we're going to keep scratching. We're going to keep clawing until we see it more clearly and accurately. So, Lord, help us. Help us set aside the time this month to read your word, to study it, to know it. Oh, Lord. And to delight in it as well. So help every person here that we may be faithful. And we know that it is rejoice in your word, the gift of life to us. May it be our bread. May it be our sustenance in the days to come, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll be back here next month, second Wednesday of December. I believe we'll be back in the same room, but we'll confirm that through your Palm Vista Informed as well. All right. All right, guys. Thanks.